0: You're here for the first time. We are so thankful that you have decided to worship with us today. And we believe wholeheartedly that every single member and person that calls New City home uh, has a purpose and a calling. And so today we're going to be jumping right back into Ephesians 4, looking at some of that. You know, in this passage that we're in today, in my own personal opinion, it is just a lot of fun. You know, last week we looked at the danger of disunity in the church. And how Paul urges us to be eager to maintain unity. And then showing us what that looks like. And those are the types of sermons that are good and healthy and needed for the church. But Man, are they convicting. Paul spent the first three chapters of Ephesians showing us the richness of Jesus and the gospel, showing us all of who, are, who we are when we are in Christ. And now, in the second half of Ephesians, we're seeing a response to what it looks like to live out of our new gospel identity. And the first thing Paul brought up was to be eager to maintain unity, to fight for unity inside the church, just to walk in humility and gentleness with patient and forbearing love. Because Paul knows that yes, following Jesus, we all have the same gospel identity. We all have the same identity that, give, that Jesus gives to each of us. But yet, Paul is also very aware that we are all very different people. Maybe we could say we're not uh, we're not to be uh, unif- like we're we're to be unified, but we're certainly not to be uniform. Again, God has given all of those who call Jesus Lord the same gospel identity. We're all children of God. We're all redeemed and forgiven saints and washed by the blood of Jesus if we're walking with the Lord. While at the exact same time, God has made each of us unique and very different. With unique upbringings and backgrounds and wirings and personalities. Again, we're looking for unity, not uniformity. We're unified by the same spirit that bonds us together, but we're all each uniquely made and different. And I think we all just intrinsically know this. You know, some of us are introverted, introverted. Some of us are extroverted. Some of us are introverted extroverts. Some of us are extroverted introverts. And some of us are like, well, it just depends on the day. And, you know, I've taken every personality test under the sun, I think. Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC, Strength Binders. And they all tell me the same exact thing. Me and my wife, we're very different. Like, I'm a lion. She's a golden retriever. I'm an eight, she's a three, my strengths are strategic and executing, hers are mainly relational and influencing. And you know, I don't have no clue what this says about me. You know, this week I took a quick five-minute personality test, another one, just found another one. And I found out that if I were an animal, I would be a kangaroo. (laughs) And between you and me, just our little secret here, you know, I actually took another one before that. And it tried to tell me I would be an octopus. um, And so I didn't like that one, so I took another one and I stuck with the kangaroo. But I think we get the point. It doesn't take a lot of convincing for us to get that we're all very different. You know this, I know this, Paul knew this. God made each of us unique and different while also at the same time we're also each made in the image of God. And because of our differences, as we saw last week, we have to fight and be eager to maintain unity with one another. We do it in the church, in our families, marriages, at work, with friends. It's part of growing in maturity. And so if last week was somewhat of a warning to work together and to be eager for unity, this week we get to look at the beauty of our differences. In fact, I would say what we'll see today is somewhat of a continuation from last week in what it looks like to maintain unity in the church. Because immediately following Paul's plea for unity, Paul then says right after it in verse 7, very first verse for today, It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And I wanted to point this out because today we're talking about spiritual gifts. But it comes directly on the heels of a plea for unity. Showing us there's a danger to be disunified because of our differences. While at the same time, our differences allow God to give each of us different gifts. Because what we'll see in Ephesians 4 Verses 7 to 16 as our main idea today is that Jesus gives gifts to the church. Jesus gives gifts to the church. And they're different for each of us. These gifts that Jesus gives us are displayed as part of our differences. I mean, just think again about the idea of being at odds with a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe someone in the church or your spouse or a family member. We're often at odds with one another because of some sort of difference. Maybe you've been wronged or left out or just frustrated with them for whatever reason. Whatever it is, we've all been there. And last week we saw Paul urge us to be eager to maintain unity and to fight for reconciliation and to be humble and patient and gentle and forbearing in love. And this week we see Paul take it a step further and show us that every single person in the body of Christ, whether you're happy with them or not, if they are a follower of Jesus, what we'll see today is that God has placed a gift inside of them. And that benef- and that gift is to be a benefit to the entire body of Christ, which, let's not forget, their gift also is to be a benefit also to you. Like that person that we're at odds with has a gift from the Lord inside of them that was put there For your benefit. And so, for being eager to maintain unity, like Paul uh, calls us to do, we first work towards reconciliation and humility and in gentleness and in patient love. And then, next, what we'll see today is that we then also are to see them as a gift given to us from the Lord. And so, in essence, if we push them away and don't unify, we're essentially pushing away a God given gift. And no, today is not about unity, that was last week. Today is all about our gifts, but what I do want us to, what I don't want us to miss before we get into our gifts discussion is how it's all connected to a unified body. And so let's just think about this, okay? I mean, who doesn't love a good gift, Christmas, birthdays, anniversaries, or simply just because, like opening up a gift is a special thing. And the reason I love our passage today so much is because it reminds us that every single birth person in the body of Christ is a special and a precious gift from the Lord. Like when I look out at our church and I think about each one of you, I just get overwhelmed with thankfulness because each and every one of you is a gift and also has gifts given to each of you by God that is to then be used to build up the church. And absolutely no one is exempt from this. This is not just some of you, but literally every single person that says Jesus is Lord and has the Holy Spirit in their heart, they have special gifts that we as the church get to then unwrap and mine out and discover that is to be used as a gift to us. You know, when I was a kid, we often would go up to the mountains of North Carolina, and they had these little gem mining places where you would go into a store, buy like a gem mining kit uh, for about 5 or 10 bucks. It, it looked like a little two-pound bag of dirt that was wrapped up in plastic. I mean, the margins on these things had to be really high. It was just plastic uh, mixed with dirt and gravel and also several special gems inside. And so you would dump out this little bag of dirt into this little wooden tray with a screen bottom, and, you'd, uh, and then you put the tray into like a little stream of water, and then you would sift through the dirt. And after about five to ten minutes, all the dirt and the gravel would be washed away, but then left inside of that wooden tray were just a handful of little gems. Usually one was like painted gold, maybe there was a smooth marble or two, and maybe several crystal-like rocks. And so every kid walked away with a few fun rocks. No kid had the same two gems, but every kid did have gems in their hand. And so as we think about us as the church, each made in the image of God, united by Jesus, while also each uh, having unique, individ- like unique gifts, like each of us, just like those bags inside of us, are treasures and gems to be found and used for God's kingdom. At the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God has placed those gifts inside of you and inside of me to be a gift, not so much for yourself or myself, but for, so- for others around us. Like what an incredible blessing. Each one of us have gifts inside of us that we the church community get to then find and discover and then also develop in each other. So Christian, get this. You are a gift. Hear that? You're a gift. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are, it doesn't matter your personality, wiring, your upbringing, your education, or your skill set. If God has saved you, he has also placed the Spirit inside of you, and what comes with it are gifts that we, the church, we need. If we didn't need it, God would not have placed it there. And so today we get to talk about the idea that God has given each of us, every single one of us, gifts, if we're walking with, if we're with the Lord. And so as a simple outline for today, we'll see, as we walk through verses 7 to 16 in chapter 4, we're going to see gifts are given, number one, as a display of grace. Gifts are given, number two, for building up the church. And number three, gifts are given for developing spiritual maturity. And as we go through this, we're not going to get into every spiritual gift that's covered in the Bible. We'll reference a few others, like in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But in our passage today, we're going to look at five specific gifts in our second point that today I'm going to say fall into an equipping category for gifts. They're for building up the church. They're more, they're more like word-based gifts, Bible-based gifts. These are gifts that we'd often see for those in, the lead, in leadership in the church. And please hear me, if you're not in a current leadership role, that doesn't mean you should check out and that this does not apply to you. Because oftentimes, many of these gifts are discovered and developed over time. And so you may think none of these apply to you. Well, guess what? I, said, I would have said the exact same thing 20 years ago. Some gifts we see immediately at conversion, and some gifts take time to discover and mature and develop. And maybe you have some of these gifts, and you know it, but they need to be maybe developed where it's, uh, it's not being exercised in its full capacity. And that's something we, the church, need to own and steward. And just as an FYI, y'all, there are so many different spiritual gift tests you can take, kind of like a personality test, and I think it could be helpful uh, and maybe point us in the right direction. But at the end of the day, the best place to discover and affirm and, a de- and develop these spiritual gifts that God has given each of us is within the context of the local church. The gifts that God has given us are to be affirmed by the local church, and they're also gifts to be used for the local church. And quite frankly, most of these gifts are not fully used in a Sunday morning service. Like they can't be used through a live stream. No, they're used and confirmed more so through interpersonal relational context in places like our serve teams and in our city groups and just in normal everyday life. And so if you're not in a city group or on a serve team or really in both, it will be very challenging for us, the church, to affirm and develop and steward the gifts that God has given you. Again, these gifts are not for our personal benefit, but for the benefit of others in our church. And so we must be in regular interpersonal relationships to steward these gifts. As that said, let's look at what Paul says, starting in verse 7. He says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then Paul, he kind of goes on in these next verses uh, to explain what he says. Look what he says. I'm saying he ascended. What does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And maybe you're thinking, okay, that doesn't seem like an ex- explanation. I'm actually just more confused. And so let me explain. In verse 7, again, Paul said grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Like this grace that Paul is speaking of is not saving grace, but it's ministry grace. It's a grace that is given to serve the church. Because again, God has given us these gifts to be used for ministry and for building up the church that we did not earn. We did not earn these gifts. But rather it was an act of grace. Grace was given to us according to and displayed by the gifts God has given us. Showing us, number one, gifts are given as a display of grace. So grace is getting what we did not earn. We did, nothing, uh, like we did nothing that said, you deserve these gifts. It's simply just a free gift given out of no merit of our own. Whatever gift we have inside of us is not because we're awesome or better or because we earned it, but only because of grace. And then in verse 8 and 9, Paul expands on this miraculous display of grace. And so try to follow me here for about two minutes as I kind of wade into a complex explanation of those verses that he was using to explain this. Because in verse 8, it says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And so Paul here is referring back to Psalm 68 in the Old Testament, which is a song of victory. And he's showing that when Jesus ascended into heaven, after his death and resurrection, when he went back to be with God, it says he led a host of captives. Another translation, the CSB, it says in that same verse, it says he took prisoners into captivity and then he gave gifts to men. And then in verses 9 and 10 in Ephesians 4, Paul goes on to explain this a little bit more, showing that Jesus came down to earth, he descended from heaven, to earth, and then after his death, he ascended back up to heaven. And yes, there is a lot going on here because he is making reference, references out of Psalm 68 that initially showed how God rescued his people out of Egypt and redeemed and blessed them. But Paul, here in Ephesians 4, is using Psalm 68 to show that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, was victorious in redeeming us out of our sin and darkness and then giving gifts gifting us with gifts to be a blessing to others. And so we today were once held captive by our sin, but now by God's grace in the cross and by saving us, by giving our life to the Lord, we're no longer in captivity to our sin. But then what Paul is showing us, he's saying we're also blessed with gifts from God. Okay, all right. If that made absolutely no sense to you, Maybe this will help, okay? So just imagine being in prison as a lifetime prisoner. Like you have a lifetime sentence. And then by nothing that you've done, by no merit of your own, the prison warden, he kind of comes up to you and says, you're pardoned. You're free to go. I'm like, well, what did I do? How was I set free? And the prison warden says, well, someone else paid your penalty, You're free to go. Your penalty is paid in full. Obviously, this is a hypothetical situation, but if you were that prisoner that was set free, I think we can agree we'd be a bit thankful. There's a level of awe and thankfulness that we'd have for uh, for that person that paid our penalty. But then what if that same person that paid our penalty to get us out of prison then left for us on our way out a gift with a note That says, this gift is yours. I've paid your penalty. And I'm giving you this specific gift to share with the world. And so please take this gift and bless the world with it. What would we do with that gift? Would we ignore it? Would we hide it? Would we be ashamed of it? No. I think we would gladly do as instructed. And y'all, we wouldn't just leave that prison as a free person, but we leave that prison free and equipped with a new purpose and mission. A New City, this is exactly what God has done for us in the gospel. Jesus is the one that paid our penalty. Jesus is the one that set us free from bondage. And he's also the one that gave us our gifts to be used for a new purpose. And how did we get these gifts? Well, it's all by grace. Jesus came down to earth not just to set us free from sin, but also to bless us and give us gifts that he wants to then use to build his kingdom. And again, Christian, you're a gift. And God has given you gifts. And so what are some of those gifts he has given? When Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, he gives us a list of five, those five equipping gifts that are used for building up the church. Again, these are mainly word-based gifts. But look at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, we, again, we see a list of five different gifts that God gave the church. And then he said in verse 12 that these gifts were given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So, these five gifts were given to build up the church, leading us to number two. Gifts are given for building up the church. It's exactly what Paul said. These are for building up the body of Christ. And no, not everybody has these gifts. But I do believe it's fair to say that many people do have these gifts that just haven't been uncovered or they're just undeveloped. And oftentimes, God gives different gifts that are used more or less in different seasons. But these five equipping gifts are essential for building up the church. And in all these gifts, like knowing God's word, it's essential. And y'all, we're just going to scratch the surface on these. There's so much more we could say about each of these. And so what are these five gifts that God uses to equip and build up the church. Well, the first one is 2A, the gift of apostleship. These will each be quick, but before we jump into this, I do want to briefly acknowledge that many disagree on the first two that we're going to see today. And I'll speak into that some. And what often happens is that these first two kind of get thrown out and it's often said that those gifts are no longer valid for today, which I struggle with because I think, well, why do we get to choose which ones are valid and not valid? Rather, I would argue that they just need to be taught and explained in a healthy way. And so this first gift, the gift of apostleship, the disagreement comes on whether he's speaking of the title of apostleship, like the Apostle Paul, and was given the authority to be a New Testament Bible writer. And to that we have to say, well, no. Like us today, we do not have that title. We do not have that type of authority. But rather, we do, however have the gift of an apostle, the gift of apostleship. And so we need to ask, what is an apostolic gift? And so for us today, those with these gifts, this gift, are often the ones that are sent out on the front lines of ministry. It literally means sent out, sent one. It's a pioneering new work type of gifting, much like a missionary or church planting context. And these are the people that love going from zero to one. That start ministries where no ministries exist. They build it up and then equip others to lead in it. And this is the type of person. when they look out into a group of people not knowing anyone, they see opportunities, not obstacles. The apostolic gift is an equipping, word-based gift, because there is a need to take people who have no context, no structure, no background for anything, and then equip them, train them and get the ministry running on its own. It's a gift that lays a foundation. And so if you enjoy starting things or have started several different things from the ground up, you may have this gift. If you're not sure if you have this gift, maybe try try to start a Bible study in your neighborhood or in your workplace. Maybe try to start a prayer gathering or a care ministry somewhere. Or maybe even going on a short-term trip like we have this summer. Listen to me. If you have this gift, the church needs you. We need you to develop and exercise that gift because although it may seem easy for you, it is certainly not easy for everyone. This is a gift that God has given you to be stewarded as a blessing for the church. So that's the first gift that we see, the gift of apostleship. Well, the second gift we see is to be the gift of prophecy. As I already said, this too is a little bit of a debated topic and understood in various different ways. And quite frankly, this is a gift that I think is too quickly disregarded because we think of it in extremes. With having futuristic dreams and visions, much like the Old Testament prophets, which, yes, may happen. But it also, it's also a very simple gift that we should not ignore or throw out the window. And so it's, uh, at its most simple understanding, a prophet is someone who speaks for the Lord. In the Old Testament, God would send prophets to give warnings and also direction to his people. And so in our current context today, a prophetic gifting often looks like someone opening up the Bible and then using God's word to exhort and encourage and warn and then build up God's people. Much like we do here in a preaching context, where it's not just teaching what the Bible says, but it's using the Bible to speak into the specifics of life and culture. This gifting, it may also look like someone saying, hey, I've been praying for you and God has been drawing you to my mind, and this verse or this thought came to my mind. Can I just share this with you, just as an encouragement, or maybe as a warning? And then God uses that, and it multiplies, and it blesses them immensely. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have that gift. Well, again, I would say, well, maybe you do. It just needs to be developed by studying and learning God's Word, And so someone who has a prophetic gifting, that gift is developed by sitting under the Word of God, by studying the Word and reading the Word, knowing it and memorizing it, meditating on it. And I'll say this in direct, blunt love. Someone who has a prophetic gifting but doesn't know the Word and who is not yielded to the Word, they're nothing more than a potential false prophet. While at the same time, Someone who has a prophetic gifting, it is a beautiful gift to the church. Speaking God's word and encouraging the church as a mouthpiece for the Lord. I mean, what a gift. But y'all, these types of prophetic giftings we have to use with extreme caution and stay within the bounds of Scripture. Because again, this is how false prophets and false religions and false teachers are birthed. If you just look throughout religious history, this is how most cults and other religions are birthed. If someone who speaks as, it's like someone who speaks as for the Lord, but yet they're not yielded to God's word. They see their words as mere, more authoritative than God's words. I mean, if you look at every other religion, it typically comes from one person who heard a new word from God and then created a whole new false religion that totally defers from the Bible. And so whenever someone says, God told me, and there isn't a chapter and a verse to back it up, no, we do not throw it out the window, but we also need to use extreme caution and wisdom and a lot of discernment with those around us who know God's word, making sure it doesn't go against God's word, and speaking as a false prophet. A prophetic gifting, it is an incredibly sharp tool used in great ways by the Lord. But if we're not careful with it, that same tool can, use, be, can be cause a lot of destructive damage. So again, how do we sharpen and develop and uncover a prophetic gifting? Well, simply put, we get into the Word. We study it, we meditate on it, we exhort and encourage others and warn others using the Word. So if you've ever encouraged others or warned others or exhorted others with God's word while speaking into their life and someone else has been affected by it in a way that honors the Lord, you may have a prophetic gifting. And yes, we're all called to do these things, but some, because of their gifting, tend to have an increased fruitfulness because of it. Again, one of my hopes today is that we would all be slow to say, I don't have these giftings but rather be just a little curious and say, maybe I have that, it just needs to be developed. And then after it's developed, it would then be affirmed by the local church. And our city groups is quite possibly the best place uh, we have for this to happen. And then next we see the next gift, to see the gift of evangelism. Simply put, those who have the gift of evangelism will regularly share and speak the gospel to those who are not followers of Jesus. Now we need to be clear on this. Evangelism is a command for all believers. Nobody is exempt from this. But just like the other gifts, there are some that God gives an increased fruitfulness and effectiveness in their ministry. And this too is an equipping and building up gift. It's a word-based gift because we're speaking the words of the gospel. And so we need those with the gift of evangelism to lead the way and encourage and model and equip everyone else who are also commanded to do evangelism. And so maybe you have the gift of evangelism that needs to be uncovered and developed. Maybe, you might have it maybe if you're just not afraid to talk to strangers. Or if you naturally can connect with a lot of different people. Or maybe if you're not so much a people person, but uh, if you're very calculated and intentional and able to make a plan and execute it, you too may have the gift of evangelism. Some of the best evangelists that I know and also are also quite, they're just shy introverts, but yet they're intentional and they do a really good job of being with people in smaller settings. You know, I really believe more people have the gift of evangelism than we may realize. Because maybe it's being covered up by fear or some sort of thought, like maybe that they don't speak well or have a fear of rejection, which is not from the Lord. But again, the way in which this is developed is by studying the message of the gospel backwards and forwards and then just sharing it. Yes, we're all called to regularly share the gospel, but what if you have the gift of evangelism, but yet the enemy is trying to keep that gift locked away because of excuses we give ourselves. The gift of evangelism is an incredible gift for the church, and the enemy hates it. So how do we uncover and steward and develop this gift? Well, simply, we just tell people about Jesus. We share the gospel. We do evangelism. Y'all, we have people that are on USF's campus every week sharing the gospel. and Maybe you need to go with them one week. Right, mission trips, also an excellent place to explore this gifting. And so far, we've seen the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy, and then thirdly, the gift of evangelism. But then also we see uh, 2D, the gift of shepherding. This is very much a caring and a restoring gift. This person likely has the gift of seeing pain in a heart and soul and listening just very naturally and easily able to, to, with God's word, help mend the brokenhearted. Just like a shepherd watches over the flock of sheep and protects them and helps direct them towards good fields and water, the person with the gift of shepherding will do the same, leading people back to Jesus. These are the ones uh, you want to bring your grief and worries and fears to who then care for your soul, and they equip you for life and ministry, and then they send you back out into ministry. You may have the gift of shepherding if listening just comes easy for you. If stories of people and their hurts and pains, if you find people, if you find yourself just drawn to them. Just like the gift of evangelism, uh, we're, also call, we're all called to shepherd and care for people, but some just tend to have more fruitfulness and effectiveness in their care. Again, our small discipleship groups is an excellent place to discover and develop and strengthen those with the gift of shepherding. And then lastly, 2E, the gift of teaching. These are the people that are able to open up the Bible and explain it and teach it so everybody can understand it. Where prophetic gifting is more exhorting and preparing and warning with God's word almost looking kind of forward, a teaching gift is able to simply and clearly explain what it says and also what it means. Sometimes people have both, sometimes not. If you've ever taught the Bible and, sometimes, and someone has said, I was really helped by that, well, you likely have a teaching gift that God wants to use to equip and build up the church. Teaching gifts, are, they're not only for a Sunday morning sermon, again, they're also used and developed in our groups, in our kids' ministry, in our student ministry, and in one on one discipleship settings. You don't have to be a classroom teacher to have a teaching gift. We're all teaching people all the time. Parents are instructed to teach their kids. New and old believers need to be taught the Word. Everyone needs to be discipled, which involves teaching. Just like the others, maybe, uh, but maybe more intensely here, we develop this gift by studying the Word and being in the Word. Someone who thinks they have the gift of teaching but yet doesn't know the Word, quite frankly, they're in danger of being a false teacher. You know, we need many men and women in our church who are able to teach the Word. It is essential to the health of our church. So these are the five specific gifts in Ephesians 4, just kind of scratching the surface on them, that God has given to the church that are to be stewarded and developed for equipping and building up the church. The gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy, evangelism, shepherding, and teaching. Again, there are many more in Romans 12 and in 2 Corinthians 12-14 to as well as in other places with gifts like administration and exhortation, like the gift of faith, just a greater sense of trust. There's the gift of leadership, the gift of wisdom and discernment, the gift of generosity, like being able to give significantly more than others. Like that's a gift. The gift of hospitality, of mercy, the gift of service. I mean, on and on we could go. There are so many incredible gifts that are inside of all of those who call Jesus Lord. And they're to be used and stewarded for the local church. But these five specific equipping word-based gifts we see in Ephesians 4, Paul then shows us how and why we are to steward them. He says in verse 13 and 14, he says, We use these gifts, follow along with me, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by the every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so why are we given these five gifts? Well, Paul says we use these gifts for the purpose of attaining the unity of the faith. So just like we saw last week, and and also so that we can grow in the knowledge of God. These gifts help us mature. They guard and protect us. Verse 14 says, so that we won't be like children tossed to and fro by the waves. Just kind of drifting with the current and the wind of our culture, being deceived by the world. So those who have these five specific equipping gifts of apostleship and teaching and prophecy and shepherding and evangelism, we are to steward these gifts to build, guard, and protect one another from deceit. That is not in line with God's word. We could say it this way. Number three, gifts are given for developing spiritual maturity. Very simply put, part of growing as a disciple of Jesus is uncovering and developing and exercising our God-given gifts if we want to grow as a Jesus follower, we must step into these gifts that the Spirit has placed inside of us. And so if, we have, if you have the gift of apostleship, your God-given gift is then used to go into a new place and see people grow into maturity. I mean, get this, your maturity hinges on you using your gift to see other people also grow into maturity. And so if you have a prophetic gift, maybe, Your God-given gift is to exhort and encourage and warn and spur on with God's word to build people up into maturity, to see people become stable and steadfast and mature in Christ. And when you develop that and exercise that correctly, you also mature. Shepherds, your job is to speak into and build up those who are in that season of feeling like they've just been beaten up by the world. Maybe struggling or believing lies. Whatever it is, your God-given gift to our church is to see people restore back to maturity. We could go on and on through each gift. And see how when we uncover and exercise our gift for the benefit of others, we at the same time, we also are growing up into maturity. And why? Because we're living out our God-given purpose. We're walking in obedience, which then causes us to grow. These five gifts in Ephesians 4, they're gifts to the church, and we need people in our body to encourage and care and teach the hurting and the confused. We need people to drive our church into the dark corners of our city and proclaim the good news to the captive and to see those entangled by their sin set free. New City, no one person can do all of this. We need the entire body to do this. Again, what if... Some of these gifts are inside of you and they just simply need to be uncovered and developed. Like I I said 20 years earlier, 20 years ago, if you told me I had a teaching gift, I would have laughed in your face. But over a 15-year period, it was slowly uncovered and developed. Again, there is a treasure of a gift inside of everyone and just simply ask yourself, maybe ask those around you, what are those gifts God has given you to be a blessing to the church? Maybe you can... Speak into someone else's life and affirm one of these gifts to them. I mean, what an incredible blessing that could be. Maybe it's not one of these five, but maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you love to host. We're, we're always looking for places, uh, for our groups to gather. Maybe if you have the gift of mercy, maybe you should join our prayer team. Or maybe, uh, maybe you, you do think you have the gift of teaching. Well, get in a discipleship group and, and ask to teach a, a discipleship group one week with the three to five people just in a safe environment. Or maybe serve in kids or or at Kids Week and teach kids. Or if you think you have a prophetic gifting, simply get into the Word and then give it to other people and encourage them. And see what God does. You all again, there are dozens of gifts, and we all have at least one. And we need to be asking ourselves, how am I using this gift to build up the church and to grow into maturity? Again, with these five Word-based gifts, Paul leads us to ask, how can we use our gifts to help guard and protect the church from being deceived and drifting with the world. You know, Paul says in verse 15 and 16, as we get in the last four to five minutes, those who are being deceived, we must, as we exercise these five gifts, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. New City, it takes the entire body of Christ, every single one of us, to use the gifts God has given us to see the church function properly. You now, I know with our young three year old church, we have a lot of areas to grow and mature, and we've come a long way. God has been so kind to us, but I also know there are a lot of things God still has planned for our church. And let's just ask ourselves what if those plans that God has for our church include the undiscovered and undeveloped gifts that lay inside of you? And you know what? I have a good hunch that that's the case. Y'all, we've been praying for a lot of things, and I can't help but think part of God's plan to answer those prayers is for our gifts to be unlocked and ignited by the Spirit of God. Y'all, when we all steward our gifts the way God intended us to steward them, Paul says we're being built up in love. We're growing in maturity. And and so just imagine with me as we kind of end our time here. Like what if God has placed a gift inside of you that someone in our church so desperately needs? Like maybe a shepherding gift. I mean, just imagine with me the beauty of stepping into that person's life and using your gift that God has placed inside of you, and then God uses your shepherding gift to bring that person back to health. And then in them coming back to health, they begin to see and uncover and develop gifts in their own life. And then maybe your gift of shepherding, maybe they discover their apostolic gifting and are then able to get into a new area and see a whole new work, maybe into an unreached people group. And in their efforts using their apostolic gifting uh, that was unleashed through your shepherding gift, they find a person in that unreached part of the world that has the gift of evangelism. And they end up leading an entire village to Jesus. And then through their evangelism efforts, they discover someone has the gift of teaching. And they begin teaching the Word and seeing people grow up into maturity. And on and on the cycle grows. And I get it. I know that sounds like an idealistic, hypothetical, romanticized story. Except for the fact that this is exactly the way God works. When everybody in the church uses and exercises their gifts within our community, the Spirit of God pours out like a mighty rushing wind and does something incredible. And how do we use and discover these gifts? We just simply come to Jesus and just be in awe that he died for our sins and he freed us from our captivity. And then be confident with our new freedom in Christ. We're given a gift that is to be stewarded for his kingdom. And over time, we discover our gifts through prayer and being in the word with the local church, through living life with those in the church, and also by simply just looking to Jesus in worship. And then we just simply see what happens out of the overflow of our worship. When we first worship the Lord and delight in Jesus and his goodness, the Spirit of God takes that overflow of our worship, and then he just ignites the gift in us. I mean, just think, when we're in awe of God, walking in the spirit of worship, what gifts do we just see in our own life bubbling up or in the lives of others? And listen, you have that gift in you to be a blessing for New City Church. And so let's all ask together, what is it and how can we steward it? Let's just dream and watch and see what God does. Church, you are a gift. Brother in Christ, you have gifts in you. You're a gift. Sister in Christ, there are gifts inside of you. You're a gift. Let's pray. God, I, my hope and prayer is that every single person that calls Jesus Lord, that they would know that they have gifts, and that they are a gift. God, what a blessing. It is to know that you looked down on us, that you came and you rescued us, and then you just placed inside of each of us these incredible, precious gifts that you want to see just ignited and flourished through the Spirit of God. God, we pray for your power and your Spirit to come and just do a mighty work through our people. We give this all to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.